This is Pastor Chadwick King. I hope you enjoy the ministry of God's Holy Word today provided by the Promise Center Media Ministry. Please share this lesson or sermon with your friends and family. And may the Lord bless you. I want to go right into the Word, and like I said, next Sunday is Baptism Sunday, so I am going to kind of land there and talk about baptism a little bit, but we've been talking about the heart. Everybody say the heart. Heart of the Matter has been our sermon series for the last two weeks. Has anybody enjoyed it so far? Learned anything? Growing? Amen. Good. Because we want to get down to the heart of the matter, and I really believe that God is speaking to us, and the Holy Ghost has been moving and reaching people, and this is an exciting time to live for God. This is an exciting time to get serious about living for God. This is the time. There's, there's no time to waste. This is the time. So we're redeeming the time, we're seizing the moment, and we're saying yes to God's plan and purpose for our lives. Um, I want to uh, turn your attention to Proverbs chapter 4 and 23. This is the premise for our sermon series it says this Proverbs 4 and 23 above all else guard your heart guard it keep it protect your heart for everything you do flows from it we've got a janitor steward we've got to protect we've got to guard keep our heart Proverbs 19 and 3 reads like this the foolishness of a man perverteth his way his way is perverted or it's changed. It's, it's, it's not made right. And his heart fretteth against the Lord. Now, what I love about this church is this is a first-generational church. This means we, we've postured ourselves to reach those who are far from God, to reach the unchurched. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. And thank you for partnering with us in that mission and vision. Just a couple months ago, we had someone who came to church, and he heard the word sin. He had no idea what the word sin meant. He's like, what does that mean? And someone turned and said, it means to miss the mark. And when we miss the mark, we, miss, we lose something. When, when, when there is a missing of the mark, something the Bible says happens in our heart, we fret against God. There's a tension that happens in our heart with God. And so over the next several minutes and moments, I want to share with you kind of the anatomy of this heart transition. The heart of sin is the title today. And we'll be turning to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3 and 1, and we'll just be reading uh, down through the text. Heavenly Father, we honor you. We thank you for doing a work in our hearts today. We worship you. Let your word fall into good ground and bring forth much fruit. And everybody say, Amen. All right. So. As we get into this story in Genesis chapter 3, we are going to peek into uh, a story that, again, we could spend weeks on a sermon series just unpacking the timeless truths that are hidden in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is the peril of man. It's the, the decision to sin, to disobey God, to not do as God said. But there's a bigger picture to it because in Genesis chapter 2 and 15, before he gets to Genesis chapter 2 and 17, when he says, don't eat that forbidden fruit. We all know about the forbidden fruit. He's like, don't eat this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's actually a command that came first in this posture and it's basically to keep the garden. Like you're to keep the garden. I need you to keep this garden. I need You're going to have dominion over the entire earth, Adam, but I need you to protect this area because what happens in the garden is going to affect everything else. 
And so this garden story is a great type and shadow of really kind of what's happening inside of us, that what happens in us, what happens in the garden, what happens in our relationship with God affects everything else. Out of your heart flows, the Bible says. Everything that we do, everything we do flows out of our heart. That's why we have to guard our heart. So we have a conviction here that if we do what God has called us to do, then we won't have to worry about not doing what God has told us not to do. So he said, keep the garden first. And then he said, don't eat from the tree. And sometimes we're so focused on the don't eat from the tree that really the way to keep from eating from the tree is focusing on keeping the garden. If Adam would have stepped up and kept the garden, there would be a big different story. We'd, we'd be uh, probably having uh, pina coladas from the garden, virgin pina coladas, and uh, having a good time hanging out with no sickness, disease, all that stuff that came because of disobedience, etc., etc. And so today what I want to do is as we look at the heart of sin and how this all took place, I want to make sure we get the right diagnosis. That way we get the right prescription. If we get the right diagnosis, we'll get the right prescription. So we want to look at the heart and how this all works. So Genesis chapter 1, excuse me, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It begins like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Now, we'll hold that scripture right there. I want you to notice after the word garden is a big question mark, all right? This is the first question mark. In fact, it's the first question in the Bible. Before in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, it's God says, but now Satan comes into the picture. He creeps into the garden. I don't know how that happened. Adam wasn't keeping the garden, but he says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? And so we start with a question. The question creates the tension. The tension creates the soil for deception and trickery to happen. So it all begins with a question. Did God really say it? We start going, did it really happen? Was this experience very, really real? Did God really speak to Adam? And we start questioning and what's interesting to me is that whenever Satan decided to manifest himself to humanity he didn't choose a lion a tiger a bear oh my you know what he chose he chose a serpent he chose something crafty and subtle something unbeknownst to them that would slither in and create a conversation. Because a lot of times we, cho we, we choose to, to, to depict Satan as like this horned beast with, with like a pitchfork and saying, you better sin and you better do that. That's not how it works at all. In fact, he comes very crafty. He crafts situations and dialogues and begins to plant ideas in our minds because what he's after is our heart. If he can get us connected emotionally to the lie and to this scenario, then it changes everything. He starts with the head and moves down to the heart. So very crafty how he comes in. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Verse 3, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. If you touch it, 
you eat it, you're, you're gonzo. That's, that's what, what I've heard, and that's what I believe God said. And then this is what Satan says, verse 4, you will not certainly die. Now, remember, God said in Genesis chapter 2, if you eat of the tree, the fruit of this tree, you will die. All Satan did was add a not in the middle of that verse. One word changes everything. He's pretty good at that. You know, all he has to do is amplify one area. All he has to do is insert one word. All he has to do is put one idea. All he has to do is insinuate one little thing. It's amazing how he can get us off track by doing that. How many know John 3, 16? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, right? Well, watch this verse, John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world. Well, let's put the whole scripture up. <laughs> For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see what happens when you omit or you add to? You can change the meaning completely. Pretty crazy, huh? So all he does is he adds one word, he changes the meaning. And it's interesting to me, of all the lies that Satan could have told, you know the lie he told? He could have said, God didn't say it. He could have said, oh man, like I, I made the tree. And, and this, no, you know what he said? You can eat it and nothing will happen. The lie that he spoke to humanity was, you can do what you want and there's no repercussions. Act the way you want and there's, there, there, there's no repercussions. Do what you want, live like you want, there's no repercussions. And we know that to be false, right? We know that when we, when we do it our way, guess what happens? When we live out our way, when we, when we go back to moral relativity and say, this is okay for me, this is the way I want to do it, guess what happens? We find ourselves in fret with God. We find our way perverted, the Bible says. Our ways are we're staggering and, and, and there's, no, there's no easy path. But he says, if we will acknowledge the Lord, he will direct our path. And there's a plan that he has for you. So don't miss the mark. Sin is just missing the mark. Jesus hit the mark. So you and I could hit the mark. God has a better plan for you. He has a bigger promise for you. He has a better life for you that's hid in him. Amen. But the enemy would say, do it your way. Because if you do it your way, it's no big deal. Do what you want to do. Live how you want to live. But with every crime, there has to be a motive. With every lie, there has to be an emotional attachment. And this is what it was. Verse 5. Watch what Satan says. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You know what he's really saying? God knows that when you eat of this, you're going to be like God, knowing right and wrong. And then you will be able to decide what's right and wrong for you. And you won't need God anymore. Why, why do you need God if you know? I mean, why is God hoarding all of this wisdom from you and knowledge from you? Don't you want to know what God knows? Don't you want to be able to de decide what's right and wrong for your own life? You know, moral relativity is really fun until someone holds you up at gunpoint and you say, why are you doing this? Don't you feel bad? And they go, no, don't feel bad. Because moral relativity says, do what you feel. If you don't feel bad about doing it, then, then, then do it. Whatever feels good for you, that's moral relativity. That's, that's based in humanism. That's based in the spirit of this world. 
But whenever we understand that God's word is life, we understand that if me left to my own devices, I will self-destruct every time. Me doing it my way always ends up in trouble and not triumph. Doing it my way always messes things up and unravels the good. Have you ever unraveled something? One day we, the kids got the toilet paper and it was all unraveled. And I said, I'm going to ravel this back up. We are not wasting one roll of toilet paper. And I'll be honest with you, it, did not, it never looked the same again. Never, never looked the same. It, you, life unravels when we do it our way. Verse 6, And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, here's what happened. You know, the, the mind is a powerful thing. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. Like, like you see something like a, a lawnmower. A guy sees a lawnmower. Now, this has never happened to me, but you know, I got to get that lawnmower. Three-speed lawnmower. You hear about it. Then you start researching about the lawnmower. Then you, like, write lawnmower on your, on your back. Okay, maybe that didn't happen. But you're like, guys, I'm going to get the lawnmower. And you're willing to sacrifice stuff to get the lawnmower because you start focusing on what you want. This is exactly what happened. She starts focusing. She starts focusing on what she wants. And it goes back to the motive. It goes back to the motive. God will, God will, he doesn't want you to be like him. And so she starts looking at the fruit. She starts inspecting the fruit. A thought turns into a touch. She begins to handle, go, you know what? This may not be so bad. Maybe this isn't so terrible after all. And so a thought turns into a touch, and a touch turns into ultimately a taste. And the taste turns into a transfer. She gives it to Adam, who's with her. I don't know why he didn't speak up. Old lady say amen. And she's like, here's some apple pie. And, and he's like, thank you, honey. Had a long day. Here's a fruit roll-up. Just have this. And she, he eats it. And something begins to change. Why? It began with her focusing on what she cannot have. Every tree in the garden is theirs. They have dominion over the entire earth. And yet the one tree that God says, this is mine. Don't touch it. That's the one that Satan gets her to start focusing on power of a focused mind because Satan knows if he can get your mind if he can get your thoughts if he can get your head he can ultimately get your heart and so whatever we start looking at whatever we start gazing at we start handling oh man this is yeah and before you know it you're pushing purchase on Amazon for a, 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 a three speed lawnmower that you don't even have grass at your house but everybody else has got the lawnmower so this has never happened to me I'm just telling this is somebody else somewhere else but you find yourself pushing by and, and you know because you got focused in and, and, and the power of the focused mind now it's in your heart now it's there and so she gets it and she's like, this, is, this looks right. This feels right. And she partakes. And something happens. The Bible says, then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked. You're probably going, I know everyone's like, how did they not know? 
Well, the bottom line is this. The Bible says they were clothed with glory and honor. There was a glory that was covering them. I don't know if it was a, a shine, a glow. I don't know what it was, but there was something that was lost. See, the glow, the glory, and the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We were arrayed. We were clothed with the glory of God. So now because they've missed the mark, something's missing. They've missed the mark and now they go, something's not right. And this is God's way of showing us you've missed the mark. You, you realize something's missing in your life. You realize there's an emptiness. Yes, you're making, maybe you're making more money. You just graduated from college, whatever it may be, and all these successes, but you go, something's missing. There's something that belongs here that's not here. And because of it, I feel incomplete. And that's a result of sin. That's a result of not being in relationship with Jesus Christ. So the first thing they do when they sin, they sin, they mess up, their eyes are open, the glory's gone. They're like, whoa. And now Adam and Eve grab fig leaves and start making aprons. Can you imagine this? You know, Adam, the, the great, wonderful first man in the image of God is now a seamstress. No, honey, please double stitch that, please. I need to make sure there's no draft. Can you, can you double stitch that? Mine's the Louis Vuitton, you know. I want it to look good. And so now they're, they're sewing fig leaves together. Why? Because they want to cover up. Isn't it amazing that when we do wrong, our first inclination, our proclivity is to cover it up? Isn't it amazing that, like, even kids, like, they didn't learn it from me. I don't know who they learned it from. I didn't look at I'm sorry. I should have looked the other way. They, our kids, even, like, at age three and four, they do wrong, disobey, and they'd be like, no, 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 no. We didn't grab any candy. And, like, they're covering up. It's like, it's like this instinct inside of all of us. We got caught, so we want to cover it up. We covered up with a lie. We covered up with another lie. We covered up with staying busy and doing stuff and trying to be good and, you know, do some good because if we can just do some good, then we can cover up the bad. Wash my car today, honey. Feeling really good. Yeah, but your attitude's terrible. Ah, okay. <laughs> Didn't quite cover it up enough. Got to paint the house. And you keep trying to cover, 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 but it's never enough because that reality's still there. It's still here. A change has happened. Something has shifted. Something's changed in your heart. And therefore, the only one who can reconcile that is the one who created the heart. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, now let me just say this. First off, just because you can feel God's presence or you're aware that God is around does not mean you're in good standing with the Lord. People come to church and go, oh, I felt goosebumps. I felt goosies. I'm, I'm good. Me and, me and God are good. Hey, I've, I've felt goosebumps at the symphony before. My wife dragged me to the symphony. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want to go to the symphony. Sure, sure, let's go. I'm sitting like this. And then like a tear starts streaming down my cheek and I'm, I'm trying to hide it. Feel goosebumps, the symphony. Just because you feel God, just because you're like, oh, that was warm, oh, that, that message. That doesn't mean necessarily you're in right standing with the Lord. 
Okay, well, I thought I was in church here. I didn't realize. <laughs> All right, amen. And so the second thing they do is they hide. They become recluse. God's showing up again. He's been doing this every morning since we were created. He wants to walk with us and talk with us and know us. And here we are. He's coming. He's coming. He's surely going to tell us what we did wrong. He's sure. Ah. And so what do they do? They got their fig leaves. This isn't good. This isn't really Louis Vuitton. This is a fake Louis Vuitton. So I, I'm going to go. And so they, they run and they hide in the bushes. The first camouflage ever in the human history. Wearing leaves. Hiding in the bushes. That was a joke. But. And so the second inclination is to hide retreat and we do this we do this we hide we can hide behind our work staying busy when there's something wrong inside we can hide behind schooling and family we can we can even hide behind accolades we can hide we can hide it's so easy to hide hide because we don't want to deal with it it's much easier to hide than to face up and stand up and fess up and say lord i i did it i was wrong because Christianity is not some virtual reality. It is spiritual reality. It is not saying, oh, we come to church and everything's kumbaya and everybody's happy and everyone's good and kumbaya, my Lord. Okay, let's go. Everything's good. Isn't everything good? When inside you're dying. Inside there's no life. That's not what Christianity is about. It's just to pretend and wish your problems away. Christianity is a surgery that takes heart, that takes part in the heart of man as God reaches into your soul and your being and moves into your heart and changes a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. But it's much easier to, re to repel, to retreat, and to fess up. In fact, God gives us symptoms. One of the greatest things that you can ever do is, is, is see the symptoms of your heart. See the symptoms of your life. What is your life producing? What, what are these things? And you go, man, pastor, I've had people come to me and say, pastor, pray against this. I, I've got relationships that are falling apart. I've got, I've got anxiety. I've got depression. I've got this. And I say, okay, I'll pray, but I'm not going to pray the way you want me to pray. You want me to pray and get rid of all the symptoms. But maybe this is God's way of showing you there's something wrong. Amen? Maybe God is saying, hey, these symptoms are going, hello, something's wrong. Because it, like if I had a, like if something like grew on my shoulder, like a big growth, like Gorbachev, like something happened here. And I'm like, oh, it's killing me. And I go to the doctor, I go, doc, what is this thing? He said, you got chattelitis. You're carrying too much on your shoulders. I'm like, I know. He's like, look, here's some, here's some ibuprofen. It's not strong enough, doc. Okay, here's some Percocet. Here's some Oxycontin. Okay, I'll take it. And I just take it and just want to numb it. just want to numb it because I don't want to feel it. I don't want to think about it. It's too much pain. No, that would not work for any of us. We'd all be like, Doc, I, I don't want to just not feel the pain. I don't want you just to inoculate me. I literally, Doc, want you to do like an MRI. I want you to open this thing up. I want you to find the root. What is going on with my shoulder? Don't let this keep happening. But a lot of us have this symptom, these symptoms that flare up. Anxiety, frustration. We're in a fret with God and God's going, this is, the this is the symptom letting you know there's something wrong disconnected on the inside. 
So we've been trying to pray these things away, going, why doesn't God take my anxiety? Why is he? Because that's God's way of saying something's wrong. Pay attention. Something's wrong. Let me do surgery. on you. Something's wrong. Give me your heart, and I can work on it. But we'd rather the, the easy fix by just getting rid of the symptoms but not really taking care of the root. And that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about opening up your heart and letting God do a work on the inside out. Is that okay? Does anybody, does anybody relate with that? Are there some symptoms in your life that you go, okay, this thing keeps flaring up. This attitude keeps flaring up. I was so proud of myself the other day. I was coming to church and someone cut me off and I was like, bless them, Lord. <laughs> so I was driving. I was like, oh, they're turning right. And so I turned right. and Oh, they're going to the park, probably working out at the, the gym, full in. It's one of our wonderful saints. I was so glad I didn't honk the horn. I was like, yes, yes, it's working. It's working. You know who you are. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's all good. Love you. Love you. Quit texting and driving. But anyways, hallelujah. Uh, uh, Jesus. Okay. So, symptoms, 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 symptoms that God gives you. I don't like this guilt. Get rid of the guilt. No, no, no. You got to get rid of the sin. We got to get rid of the, 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 the pain of my bad decisions. Yes, but, but, but. Why, why do that if, if, if there's not a, a true starting point in Christ? How, how does that look? What does that look like? So God says, let's not retreat. Verse 9, God begins to call them, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? What's up? Like you've been here meeting me here at the same place, same time. And that's why we talked about the first week, a prayer life. You've got to have a date with God. If you, if you don't have a date, a time, a place with God, you're not going to pray. I know you think you're spiritual. He can just wake me up. No, you are a heavy sleeper. Yes, he can, but you need to make a date with the Lord, okay? Where are you? Like, we're supposed to meet. Like, what's going on? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. The real answer is not, I hid. The real answer is, I'm afraid. Where are you? Yeah, I hid. That's, that's the part of the answer. But the real answer is I'm afraid because perfect love casts out fear. When the question was asked, where are you? The real answer was, I am in fear. I've stepped out of love. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Fear is the basis for hate. Well, that's another sermon for another day. Look it up. Hallelujah. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman. <laughs> See, I, I decided not to teach this on Valentine's in two weeks. I'm going to have my beautiful wife up here with me, and we're going to be sharing with you how not to kill your husband. But anyways... The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. She made apple pie. She put a fruit roll up in my, my lunch pail. I came home, I was hungry and tired. I was out pruning and working the garden. And then all of a sudden, she's like, here, honey, slaved all day. You better like it. Okay, maybe that didn't happen, but 
She's, he's like, the woman. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? Like, what happened? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. So the first thing we do when we sin is we cover up. Second thing we do is we try to hide. The third thing we do is now we're calling the carpet. We've got to blame somebody. We've got to blame. So the woman says, the devil did it. Isn't that always an easy like out? The devil. No, no. We make choices. We're made by our choices. We are made by our choice. We make choices, but we're made by our choices. The devil can never, will never make you do anything. Ever. Can't. Won't. Never going to happen. The devil. And then everybody always thinks that actually Adam's, they think he's blaming Eve. Actually, Adam is blaming God. He says, the woman you gave me. Uh-huh. She was all foxy and fine until she started handing me the fruit. Thank you very much. Like, you gave me the woman, she gave me the fruit. What's up? You know, like... This interesting conversation. Everybody's blaming somebody. Blaming the devil. Blaming God. Blaming people. We're always blaming. Never taking ownership or responsibility for our choices and actions. That's how it always boils down to that. At the end of the day, let me just tell you something. You can never be saved. You will never, ever, ever find salvation. Ever, ever, ever. Until you first confess that you're a sinner. And that you have sinned against God. David said, my sin, I have sinned against thee. This ain't your mama's problem. This ain't your, your upbringing. I get, I get it. We have proclivities. We have predispositions. I get that. I understand that. That's another sermon for another day. But at the end of the day, we made the decision. And we got to own that and say, you know what, God? I'm the problem. I missed the mark. But you know what? I know you didn't miss the mark. I know you, you have triumphed over the enemy, triumphed over death, triumphed over sin. I know the one who is victorious. But you can't get there until you first get to the realization, I'm a sinner. I made the decision. If you try to blame, if you try to put it on somebody else, you will be miserable all of your life. You'll be blaming everybody. And you know what? I'm telling you, it's easy to blame. It's easy. I, I mean, we're, we're, it's political time, like, like on Facebook. And I, I, let me just say this. Oh, man, how did I open that can? Okay, <laughs> let me say this. We as Christians must transcend politics. We have to. Man, I got half. I got half. Vote who you want to vote for. I, don't, I know it's crazy, but let me just say this. I'm a Christian first. I'm a Christian first. I'm a citizen of heaven first. So before I take my leverage and dump a bunch of stuff on Facebook about who I hate and who I don't hate, you know what? I got too much invested in the kingdom to, to put out some opinions and repost. Come on, somebody. We're, can we transcend? Look, man, that wasn't, that went over terrible. But anyways, don't blame me. Blame my wife. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's terrible. Dear Lord. She made me say it. No, look, look, nothing, nothing wrong with an opinion, but here's the deal. At the end of the day, we, we have to know this, that our struggle, the world's struggle, the world's brokenness is not going to be fixed by men. It's going to be fixed by the power of God. That's it. That's our hope. Amen. 
So watch this. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You crawl on your belly and you have, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. So basically God's like, what happened, Adam? Okay. What happened, Eve? Okay. Devil, here's what's going to happen. You're cursed. Two parts. Physical, spiritual. You're cursed. As the serpent is, is, is stuck to the earth, Satan, you are reserved in chains of darkness till judgment. That's what the book of Jude says. Reserved and the book of, of Peter. Reserved in chains of darkness till that day of judgment. The saints will judge these angels, fallen angels. But what happens is, as we see through the scriptures, he becomes a lion in the New Testament. He becomes a dragon in the book of Revelation. He embellishes himself, and there's a battle. And I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. But at the end of the day, here is what he does. He curses Satan, and then he gives the remedy for the issue. Aren't you thankful that, that God has the remedy for the issue? Watch this. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, what does this mean? First off, this means this. Every time, Satan, that a woman is giving birth. You know that woman that you tricked? You know that woman that, that you got to eat? They, you started talking to her and speaking lies to her? You know that, 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 that lady, that female? You know the, the, the Adam's wife, Eve? You know what's going to happen? Every time she gives birth, your knees are going to be knocking. You're going to be so nervous because I'm going to use the very one that you tricked. I'm going to use the woman to bring in the seed that's going to destroy you. Mm. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to come through a woman. Because this all started with a conversation with a woman. I'm going to finish it with the woman. She's going to give birth. And he, everybody say he. he. That baby that's born of this woman will crush your head and you will strike or bruise his heel. This is the first messianic prophecy concerning the coming Messiah. That the Messiah would be a suffering savior. That as he crushes the head of Satan, he himself, his heel, will be bruised. That when they were striking Christ, when they were piercing him, when they were putting the nails in his hands and feet, when they were ripping his beard off, the cat of nine tails, filleting the back of his, the flesh on his back off, when they were doing this, they did not realize that he was undoing the kingdom of Satan. He didn't realize that everything that happened in the garden, everything that was done, Jesus was undoing. He was crushing Satan's head as he was being bruised. That it was the suffering that brought deliverance. That it was the pain that brought promise. Come on, somebody. That's good news right there. Jesus. You know, God didn't say, oh, we'll figure it out. We'll come back. Let me have a little siesta and fiesta. And let's, let's, let's figure this out. No, no. Here's the answer. Satan, I'm coming for you. Everything you did, it's going to be undone. I'm going to crush your head. I'm going to crush your authority. You see, when you crush the head of the snake, the whole body dies. When you, when, you, when you find the head of the issue, it's almost like finding the root of the issue. 
the entire thing goes away. See, he's going to crush it in your life. And you know what? You're going to say, well, the symptoms are gone because he found the head. Amen. Come on. I'm telling you, somebody's going to find deliverance in this house. There's power in Jesus. This isn't some fairy tale. This is, this is God saying, I got a plan. My plan is a cross. My plan is a Christ. My, my plan is the shedding of blood. Come on, this is good news, everybody. Can I tell you right now, no matter what's happened inside of you, there is an antidote and a remedy. It is Christ. The finished work of the cross. The greatest thing you can embrace in your heart is the finished work of the cross. When he said it is finished, he didn't mean it's almost finished. It's done. It's over. Now do you want it? Do you accept it? It's finished. You can have it. And that's why by faith we enter into these promises that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 22, watch this really quickly. The Lord God said, The man who has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now, if you read in the book of Revelation, the end of the Bible, there is a tree of life, the literal tree of life. Christ on the throne, a river that comes out of the throne, and the tree of life that gives life and the healing of the nations forever and ever and ever. This is after Jerusalem comes down. This is the, the new heaven, new earth, etc., etc. A real tree that gives life. What sustained them? To live forever. It wasn't because they in and of themselves could live forever. We are still finite. We are still, uh, there's still the law of thermodynamics, the second law of thermodynamics in us. The only thing that sustained us was us being connected to the life of God. And so what God's saying here is this. Look, we got to send them out. We're going to put angels at the garden. The garden wasn't kept. The treasure's in the garden. Here's the problem. If I let them in, they will partake of the tree of life and they'll live forever. Well, why wouldn't God want us to live forever? He does want you to live forever. What's the problem? Here's the problem. He doesn't want you to live forever in a broken, degenerate, dysfunctional state. So he could have said, hey, come on back in. Just let's eat some fruit and forget about all this. No, he says, I have a remedy and the remedy is death. I'm going to give you the greatest gift. I'm going to give you death. Because the angels can't die. There's no remedy for those who sin that are angels. But I have a remedy. If you die, and you die in me, then you shall live in me forever. So those who are planted in Christ, and that great resurrection day, when he comes back, the Bible says we shall be clothed we shall have a new body like his glorious body. We shall be clothed in glory. We shall shine like the stars in the heavens forever and ever. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is when he comes again. Those who are dead in Christ shall be, and then those who are alive shall be taken away, and we shall be changed in a moment. Changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. That is the hope of the gospel. Not a Mercedes in your car, I mean, in your driveway, or even a Mercedes in your car. That'd be cool to have two Mercedes, a car within a car, a dream within a dream, whatever you want to say. But just, it, it, it's, it's not, you know, Western civilization version of religion. It is a hope 
that we will live in him and with him forever and ever. Now, let me fast forward. And I'm, 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 the, the wheels are coming down. The plane is landing. Put your tray tables up, your seat backs in their locked store position. Okay, verse 21. God is about to expel them from the garden. You know, sayonara, okay? Baila, baila, bamba, okay? I don't know if that means anything. Maybe it doesn't, okay? But verse 21, we're about to dance the dance and leave the garden. And this is what it says. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, they're being expelled from the garden, and they're like, do, 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 do. Hey, nice Louis Vuitton fig leaves. Yeah, thank you. You did a great job, too. Okay, we're awesome. We're leaving. I wish we could have the tree of life, and but we get it. Okay, God's great, and da, 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 da. And they're leaving, and God says, hold on. Before you leave, I've got these coverings for you. And, and, and Eve, Eve is like, what's wrong with my, my garments? I mean, this is like tailor-made, you know? And God's like, this is what you're going to wear. Now, uh, we're going to first ask the question, what are they wearing at the moment? They're wearing fig leaves. What is God replacing the fig leaves with? He's replacing it with coats of skin. Where do you get a coat of skin? An animal. You don't get it from a tree. How do you get it from an animal? You have to kill it. So Adam and Eve are handed this garment that's going to cover them, and they go, whoa, God. Hey, is this FDA approved? Is this, is there HGMO in this thing? What's going on? I've never seen this. And they look at it, and they realize that something innocent died because of them. They realize that you don't just get coats of skin anywhere. It has to come from something that was living. And these were obviously innocent because it was us that changed everything. And what God was showing them was a picture. Several, several thousand years later, when John the Baptist would see the Messiah, he'd say, behold, the Lamb of God, which covers or takes away the sins of the world, that Christ would die not deserving to die, innocent but because he died and his blood was shed we could be covered our guilt could be covered our shame could be covered our brokenness could be covered that's kind of a good deal huh everybody say thank you lord galatians 3 and 27 new testament let's bring it and create application for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. When you are baptized in Christ, guess what? First Peter says, just like eight souls were saved by water with Noah, it's not, it's not going to be the putting away of filth of the flesh. It's the answer of a good conscience toward God. I know he finished the work on the cross, but what do I do with the guilt and the shame that's inside of me? I feel like everybody can, I feel like I'm personifying guilt and shame. I'm projecting and acting out my anger and my hate and even my fear. He says, whenever you die with me in baptism, everything dies there. He said, I gave you a gift called death. 
If you'll die with me at baptism, then when you come up, everything is made new and everything begins fresh at that moment. It's done. You're clothed with Christ, which means you have the uniform, which means you have access to the VIP lounge. You try to go to the moon without a, a suit, an astronaut suit, what happens? You're like, open the door, one great step for man, or one small step for, you're, you're gone. It's like seconds, right? Because you don't have the right attire on. If you want to walk without condemnation, with liberty in the kingdom, when you die with Christ in baptism, you leave it all there. It's done. It's buried with Christ. Next Sunday's baptism Sunday. Next Sunday, lives are going to be changed. Hearts are going to be resurrected. You're going to be able to walk in newness of life knowing it is finished. We are baptized. Romans chapter 6 says we are baptized into his death and we share in his life because of his goodness. We can walk with confidence. Aren't you thankful that he not only took care of the sin issue, but he took care of the confidence issue, the sin and the shame, and we're able to leave it in baptism. Amen. That's a good deal. Anybody here been baptized and you know, man, I, I, maybe you got to remind yourself today, it's there. Why am I bringing it with me? Why am I bringing it back? It's in a watery grave. It's done. It's over. Devil in your face, it's done. Christ conquered, and now the shame is gone. So the heart of sin. God is expunging. He is transforming us from the inside out. Even today, while the word of God is being spoken, like the, the spirit of God is moving through this place, speaking to hearts right now. He's dealing with you. He's stirring you. He's reminding you. He said, uh-huh, that's, that's, that's you. That's me. That's me. That's me. Right there. Symptom. And I'm telling you today, if you will confess your sin, if you will confess, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness, I'm going to tell you something. Everything in your life will begin to change at that moment and that realization where you step back up with God. Quit running. Quit running from God. I'm talking to somebody in the Holy Ghost right now. Quit running from God. You've been running too long. It's time to not run from Him. It's time to run to Him because He's your Abba Father and He loves you so much. He loves you so much. Amen. Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? Amen. With every eye closed and every head bowed. If you're here today and you know God's given you some symptoms. He's allowed some symptoms to say, hey, there's a heart issue. We got distracted. We got focused on the wrong thing. Sin is the enemy, not God. Disobedience is the enemy, not God. Satan was your enemy. Now he's God's enemy. 
and you just got to switch teams. If you're here today and the Spirit of the Lord is moving on your heart to confess to Lord today, I'm confessing I am a sinner. I have missed the mark. And because I've missed the mark, something in me is empty. Something is void. I realize I am not clothed with the glory that my senses know I was created and designed for. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand? No one's looking. No one's looking. Amen. These hands that are lifted represent decisions and they represent repentance. I confess my fault and I know that you are the source of my life. Would you pray this with me all across this place? Lord, forgive me of my sins. I will run no more. I will give you my heart. I will give you my soul. I'll give you all of me. Now teach me to take one step at a time to follow you. I confess that you are Lord. You died for me. You've washed me. You're healing me. And now I am a disciple who is going to heed your word, hear your voice, and obey by your grace in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Now I want you to take the hand of the person next to you. Let me tell you right now, we live in a broken world and we're broken people. But there is an antidote. There is balm in Gilead. There is healing. His blood is enough. His grace is enough. Right where you are, if you call upon Him, His Spirit will come. Receive His Spirit right now. Receive His gift for you. That's it. Let Him breathe on you right now. For more information about who we are, we invite you to go to thepromisecenter.com. God bless you.